Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Greetings. Today we gather together as God's people. We are those into whose hands God has temporarily handed us the baton that we will pass on to future generations. In a magnificent and wondrous work of the Spirit, the church has been marching through the earth, casting out those satanic world invaders who have tried to lay claim upon our soil. You and I hold the torch of her freedom for our brief moments in this vast story that God is telling. Today, may we understand who we are and what God is doing through us, even if we really can't conceive it. May this understanding give us great purpose in our lives and help us desire to be fitted together in unity for this great work. Everybody say unity. unity. When David wrote Psalm 133, he spoke of the goodness that comes when we stand together at one. Many of you have this memorized. If you do, you can say it with me. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore God has called us together as one people that we would be united in one purpose amen, amen. let us pray Heavenly Father we thank you for loving us for giving us salvation, forgiving us each other, forgiving us work to do. Lord, we come before you as your people, needing our sins forgiven and knowing that you can forgive them and that you are forgiving them, Lord. Lord, we come before you longing to hear your voice and we know that you will speak to us. We come hungering and thirsting after righteousness, knowing that today we will be filled. We pray, Lord, that you would change us by your words that are spoken here, that faith would come into our hearts and that faith would come alive in us as we put to death the flesh that wars against you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... My text today comes from the book of John, chapter 17. So if you'd like to turn with me, you can. John 17, starting in verse 20. Once again, the title of my sermon today is Unity, the Wine. John 17, starting in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also <clears throat> be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I gave them, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou gave me, for thou loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and the love therewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to see this beautiful truth from your word that we would understand better who we are and the role that we play in history and in the destiny of the world that we would see your mighty invisible hand made visible for us today for a few moments in Christ's name we pray amen amen you may be seated Getting people to forget about themselves for just a few moments and to focus on a group sort of a task is very, very difficult. Has anybody ever had to do this? Get a whole bunch of people in the room. Imagine if it were a crisis situation. Something is happening and someone goes, okay, okay, okay. Everybody, everybody do this, right? It's almost impossible, right? How many try this at your house? You guys ever do this at your house? All right, we're all going to do this. And, and it's very, very difficult to do. What makes it so hard? What makes it so hard is everybody has their own will. They have the things they want to do, right? Does everybody want to clean the house? Or does everybody want to get the house ready for when company's coming over? Does everybody want to clean up the yard? Does everybody want to you know, fix up the church or whatever it is. It's hard to get people together to agree on what needs to be done, on how it needs to be done, on when it's going to be done. Have you guys ever been in a group of people, Derek, I bet you do this all the time, and, and it's like, okay, when can we get everybody together? And everybody gets out their calendars, right? Oh, I'm busy on this day, and I'm busy on this day, and I'm doing this. And you're like, oh, is it even possible? We're, we have to spend a half hour trying to find out when. We can get everybody together. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? Right? You guys work in business. You see this out there in the world. It's difficult because everybody has their will. Everybody say, my will. Now, if you remember, Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, not my will. Everybody say, not my will. But, but mine. Okay? Unity is achieved when we do not my will, but the will of God. Okay, now today as we continue looking at the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, it's kind of a series within a series about prayer, election, unity, and the deity of Christ. And today in part three of the prayer, we're going to talk about unity. All right, unity, and I really, I really like this. It sticks in my mind. I don't know where I get these little clever things from, but it's clever for me. Helps me remember unity is the wine. Remember we talked about how God wants us to be love vines, right? Vines that are growing love. So if love is the grape, Tim, unity is the, is the wine. Unity is the wine, all right? So we start with love, but what is the purpose of love? What does love do? Love, the Bible tells us that we obey God's commands, right? When we obey God's commands, we're doing whose will? Everybody say, His will and not ours, because we don't want to do that. So when we grow love in our hearts, love that obeys God's commands and has love, joy, peace, all the different fruit of the Spirit that grow, that brings about righteousness. This righteousness is the wine, or it brings the wine of unity. Okay, does that make sense to you guys? God lets love grow in us, the fruit of the Spirit grow in us for the purpose of unity. Okay? As we've discussed, this prayer occurred and was recorded by John after he took part in the Last Supper. He washed his disciples' feet and he told them how they were going to lead the kingdom 
into the next phase of it, right? They were going to live for a little while, but they were going to live for a little while to build a foundation to pass on to the next group of people. Really, if you think about it, it's an amazing thing. I was thinking about it up here uh, during the beginning of the service, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't think we think about this. That the church of Jesus Christ, Steve, like you think of it as a big and an amazing and a wonderful thing, right? And you are, you're what's carrying it to the next generation. And if you think about it that way, you might get really, you might go, oh no, what am I, I don't, what, I don't really think I'm doing too much of that. Well, that's kind of the point of today. Not to make you feel insignificant, but to help you to feel important to know that what you're doing is something amazing, even if you don't even know how you're doing it. The church of Jesus Christ that will be here 100 years from now. Will any of you be here? Not a one of us. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of these little babies will live to be 100 years old. How is it going to be here still? How will there still be people who love God, who love His Word, who carry on the great traditions of the Scriptures? How will it be? It's amazing to me. It's amazing how God even uses our, you know, some of us live a long time, some of us don't. And in the, and in the little time that we do, we all sort of keep, we sort of keep touching and keep holding up and keep carrying forward the church. It's, to me, it's an amazing thing. Jesus taught his first followers that they were going to be servants first. That they were going to lead with love and humility. Love and humility bring unity like nothing else. If you want to cause strife, all you got to do is have some proud person and some uncaring person. And what are you going to have? Guys, if they locked the doors and if they locked the doors and wouldn't let us out, and they didn't give us any food, and they give us any water for about a week, how do you think you'd turn out? How how do you think if we think everybody'd be real nice to each other in here? If you, if you ever do any uh, historical research and you find out about these people that get trapped in these ice passages or a plane crashes or uh, people are stranded at sea how do they live they live when everybody goes all right we got to all lay down our own will and someone's going to have to ration the food or ration the water and we're going to have to take turns figuring out what needs to be done right what do you eventually do? If anybody's going to live, what's everybody got to do? Everybody's got to say, yeah, I know I'm hungry. Yeah, I know I'm thirsty. Yes, I know I'm tired. Yes, I, everybody is. But in order for us to live, what do we got to do? We got to do what we got to do, right? Now, the, God had chosen these 12 very specifically, and then, now there were only 11 of them. Judas had already gone on. They were going to be the workmanship that God had ordained before they were even born. Jesus prayed as we talked about two weeks ago for a few different things. He prayed that his works would glorify the Father and that his disciples' works would do the same. He also prayed that the Father would keep his band of men from evil. Everybody say, keep them from evil. And that he would make them holy in all manner of life. Now, there's this thing that goes on in Christ and in the church that should puzzle you, okay? Um, Corinne, you're not going to go to heaven because of how good you are. But yet, what does God want you to do? He wants you to be good, right? He wants you to do right. You're not going to go to heaven. You're not going to get a... Are there going to be levels in heaven, Luke, for the people that were better than other people? <laughs> you don't know. All right. Now, last week, what did we learn? What did, what did Mark teach us? That we are going to have imputed to us what? The righteous. So we're all going to heaven with the same level, all right? Because if we went with the levels that we achieved, Jason, while we were here, we'd be in some serious trouble, all right? So we're going to go into heaven with our righteousness appearing as though it were Christ. So, so why do we need to worry about how we live right now? You ever wonder about that? I mean, if where sin abounds, Christina, grace abounds more, Paul had even warned him. So that doesn't mean you should sin more, right, Ryan? 
if we're, we're sin abound, grace abounds more. You'd think, Stephen, that why don't we just sin more so there'd be more grace, right? Paul goes, no, 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 no. God forbid. So what's the point? Why do we do it? Why do we care how we live? God, in this prayer that He's given us in John 17, He was praying that they would keep them in the holy manner of life and that He would make them one. Everybody say, make them one. Jesus prayed for unity. Now, Jesus prayed for what the church is going to have and what we need to have, right? Well, how do we get it? Luke, how do you get unity in your house? When everyone does whatever they want to do? When everybody's going, but I'm hungry, Dad, and I'm thirsty, Dad, and I don't want to go to sleep, and it's not time. How do you get it? You get unity by the people in your home doing your will, right? All right, it's bedtime. All right? Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Someone's got to be in charge, right, he? Now, that doesn't mean you're in charge 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but imagine if uh, Tanner was in charge of what everybody did. How do you think he'd go around the house? Right? Now, Tanner, but, so, but now if God, one day, when God makes Tanner a man, and he has a wife and he has children, who's going to be in charge in his house? He is. Patrick, right? But when, when, when he needs to get something done in his house, it has to be his will and not everybody else's. We all, oh, but dad, but dad, we want to, but dad. Maybe our prayer today as we call on the Father to make us holy to keep us from evil, to glorify Him. May it be our prayer today that God would make us one. Everybody say, God, please make us one. Remember what Jesus had said about <clears throat> how we bring the Father glory in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill that can't be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. It gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How are you going to do any good works together as a church if you can't agree on what to do and when to do it and how to do it? How's that going to be? Nevertheless, not my will. Everybody say, not my will. Jesus said in His prayer, He said, I've declared unto them thy name. The love which they love me with may be in them and I in them. The apostle taught this idea of unity in such a clear way. I, it's, it's amazing. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and this idea of love. Balancing the fruit and the gifts of the Spirit, all of them starting with love, right? That if you didn't have it, if you didn't have love, you might as well not have any of the other ones, right? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 explains how unity comes, what unity is for, and the necessity of it in a like a perfect little package, Luke. Now, I don't have time to preach the whole entire fourth chapter, which Andy read for us, but I'm going to walk through a little bit of this for us today. And as you can hear, which I didn't realize, I only have so much voice, so you may get you may get a little break today from a big long sermon from Pastor Mark because my voice is is kind of going away. You know, when I lose my voice, I'm reminded of how weak and insignificant I am. Because the job I do mostly is with my voice. I talk to people. I preach, right? What if I lost my voice? What would I do? We'd figure something out, right? I'm up here trying to sing these songs and I'm, my voice is going and going and going. You know, when I hurt my back uh, a while back, again, it just reminds you how weak you are. You know, it just takes that. You know, what if I broke my ankle, right? What would I do? And there is this supernatural thing that God is doing in spite of all the weaknesses that we have. God is using us. People who lose their voices. People who sprain their ankles. People who can't get along. People who can't even get their house cleaned up. He's using them 
to carry the church of the living God into the next generation. This is an amazing thing to me. I think that's why in the end, the Bible says that we will be speechless when he helps us see what he's been doing. Sometimes I think we think we're doing a pretty good job. And I think that when we find out what God has been doing through us who are so weak and so frail and so sinful, I think we'll be utterly shocked and amazed. We'll be like, wow, God is amazing. He's great. So in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, let me go over my premise here. It starts back in John 15. As we abide in Christ, His love grows in us. We are His love vines. The love and the righteousness that it brings, okay? Out of love, we're kind to our brothers. We tell the truth. We live in a righteous way, right? What it does is this fruit of righteousness ultimately brings something in the body and it brings unity, okay? This unity makes us work as a body, Unity is the wine that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to start with Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to preach for a little while as the Apostle taught on unity here in chapter 4 of Ephesians. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, there's a couple words here in Ephesians 4.1 is that we need to walk worthy and this the word vocation. This is kind of an odd word, right? Anybody know what vocation means? Okay, if you go to vocational school, what are you learning to do? You're learning to do a certain type of a type of work. Okay? So we have we're not only walking worthy of the fact that Christ says that we're going, you know, in heaven we're going to be the imputed righteousness, but but God wants us to walk worthy of the job He's given us to do. What job has He given us to do? What did he tell the disciples? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? To every creature. He wants us to go out. He wants us to teach them. He wants us to preach. He wants us to baptize. And he wants us to disciple the nations. This is what our job is. Isn't this amazing that we're supposed to be doing this? And he tells them how to do it in verse 2. He said, you need to do it with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love god's given us as a church a job to do but how can we do it and he tells them how to do it he told the apostles how do you start you start with lowliness you start with meekness you wash your brother's feet and in doing so you will love him and that's what paul says here with all lowliness i mean imagine you're going to tell somebody imagine if at your shop they said, all right, we're going to make trucks. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start with lowliness. You'd go, well, come on. Okay? First thing we're going to do is start with metal, right? Or a truck or a, a welder or a group of guys or something. But you're not going to start with lowliness, right? God's called you to walk worthy of the work he's given you to do. But the first thing is lowliness. So what does he mean? He's calling back to the time when Christ washed their feet. Saying, all right. So what does loneliness mean? Loneliness means not my will, but thine be done. Who wants to wash anybody's feet? Since my wife's not here, I'll take advantage of the situation. I'm getting old and, and I'm so old. I'm not even 50, but I feel like I'm about 70, right? And so I have trouble reaching my feet. And you have to do things, Heath, to your feet. You've got to deal with your feet. And so I'll try to get kids to come and help me with my feet. Andy, you, you're too skinny to have to worry about this, but when you're fat, you can't even hardly, you can't reach your feet. And someone's got to help you with your feet. And I call my kids in, Christine. I'm like, could you, could someone please come in here and bring the, the clippers in here? And I'm like, oh, dad. Oh, dad, that's disgusting. I'm like, I just got out of the bath. My feet are clean. We have this, we have this like big long brush with soap. I'm clean, I'm completely, oh, dad. Nobody wants to touch my feet like they're, you know, like they're, they're horrible or something, right? Nobody wants to do this. Not my will, but thine be done. Now, well, this is not about taking care of my feet. I'm going to try to lose some weight and take care of my own feet, all right? But the deal is, is that when Christ had them washed, when he washed the feet, 
He was showing them that there's a lowly way of dealing. There's a lowly thing where we don't want to do that. Nobody wants to get down and take somebody's dirty feet and wash them. Nobody wants to do that, right? But he says, how are we going to walk worthy of the vocation that he's called us at first? With lowliness and meekness and long-suffering. These are the three words that would apply to taking care of my feet, probably, right? Lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. It's terrible. I can't believe they're so gross and disgusting. Aren't you thankful Mrs. Robinette's not here today so I can just say what I want to say? She hates feet. She hates to even even say the word feet. I I don't understand it. With all loneliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And if you think that's not what he's talking about, if you read in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do you have unity? But through meekness. Imagine if it was like, okay, okay, we got to do something, we got to do something. And everyone's like, no, I know what to do. No, I know what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. I know what to do. And everyone's doing that. Are we going to be doing anything? No. Until someone goes, okay, what can I do? I'm here. I'm, I'm quiet. I'm ready. What do we do? Loneliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You want to have a peaceful church. You want to have a peaceful family. You want to do work in the kingdom of God. This is how it is done. We've all been called to something. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. And I think that God did this to him. You talk about feeling helpless. The apostle Paul is the leader of the church. Peter may be even almost dead at this point. But Paul is one of the leaders of the church at least at this time in his life he's in Ephesus or he's writing to the Ephesians and he's in jail and he's saying I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation that you're called in with all loneliness meekness long suffering forbearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace when you talk about that that sounds very lofty but he's basically saying that there is a peacefulness that comes through humility and lowliness. Now to emphasize that he is actually talking about unity, which he is, and he is talking about the work that we do as a body, which he is, he begins this thing that people like to quote this, but, but don't, miss the, don't miss it by doing the quote, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? Verse, verse 4 he says, there is one body, everybody say one body. One spirit. You are all called in one hope. Say one hope. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God. Can you hear it all? What number do you think he's wanting you to think of, Steve? What number, Luke? One. Why? Because he's wanting us to be one. He's talking about unity. So he's bringing up the fact that there's one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. (coughs) So when he gets to verse 7, after he says one, 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 over and over, and tells us that we need to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, we get to verse 7, he says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. King James' wording basically means all of us are different. All of us have different giftings, different abilities, different weaknesses, different parts. So when you're saying one, 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 but just so you know, there's a whole bunch of you and you're all very different from each other. So this kind of makes unity difficult. But he says, no, no, no. This is the way it's meant to be. And then he begins to use the example of a body, right? So you can't have a body without a lot of differences between the ear and the eye and the mouth and the legs and the fingers and the toes and the lip, right? You can't have a body without a lot of differences. But the differences aren't so you can all do your own thing. 
the differences are so that you can all play a part in one big thing. Okay? Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gifts, <clears throat> measure of the gift of Christ. He explains the role of leaders in the church in ordering the body. The leaders are working for unity by helping put the parts together. And he explains that he has given certain people with the church this work, and those people he calls, calls the gifts. Okay? He gave gifts unto men. We talked about this last Wednesday at our men's advanced training. This will be my little commercial for this. We're having it again Wednesday. Uh, hopefully it helped us understand the role of the leaders of the church better and of the men that God has put in this role. So he moves on to verse 11 and he says, God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So, so do you hear what he's talking about? What's the subject? Everybody say the subject is unity. Subject's unity. Unity comes from loneliness, meekness, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, right? He's given us a job to do, but then he says you're all different, but I've given you these people to help you, and he names them off. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What, what, did, what did the apostles and prophets do? But they laid forth the word of God, okay? The apostles are the ones who wrote the books of the New Testament, they're the ones who, the Bible says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So we have a written word that brings us together, but then we have the active ministry within the church, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. He says in verse 12, what therefore, therefore the perfecting of the saints. Everybody say the perfecting of the saints. Now, one of you men who were in the men's advanced training, tell me what perfecting means. Is it so that you're perfect and that you look good and not a hair's out of place? Is that what perfect means? Raise your hand if you're a man and you were in the meeting and you learned what perfect means and you know. Jeff, what's it mean? Complete, mature, grown up. Okay? And so the perfecting of the saints. Andy has been given and I have been given for the perfecting of the saints so that they are able to do the work of the ministry so that it builds this one body of Christ. That's what our job is. Verse 13 explains how it's going to work. Could, how many have seen people with neurological disorders that their arms and legs and hands and face do whatever it wants to do? Right? Are they the ones that win the Olympics running? No. Do they jump the farthest? We, we were learning last night, right, boys? Furthest man that ever jumped, jumped 29 feet, 4 inches. That's a. Do you think that his body was just doing whatever it wants? Or do you think that it was all honed in on one thing? It was all honed in. So it says, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Say the unity of the faith. Of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ is the blueprint. He is the example of what the entire body of believers are supposed to look like and to be. Now, that doesn't mean every person is to be just like Jesus was when he lived here. When people say, you know, what would Jesus do? I don't really think that's a good question for a lot of things for what you should do. Okay? Jesus did things you should not do. But he as a whole did something as a man that we as a body do together. Okay? It's not for all of us to be him. We're not all individual little Jesuses, as some people teach. But together as a body, as we lose our will, as we obey his word, and as we follow the leadership that God has given us, we are molded into the work of a body the body of Christ within where we have been given to work. Verse 14, that we henceforth are no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cutting craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And he begins to talk about this righteous living that we were talking about. So what's the point of our righteousness? Is it to earn us favor with God? Or is it to provide us unity to work? What is it? 
give us unity to work. We've already got Christ's righteousness. We're already going to heaven. We've already been credited for it. All the sins that you haven't committed yet. This is amazing to me, Jason. All the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow and next year and five years from now have already been forgiven and are under the blood of Jesus Christ. So why worry about your righteousness? Worry about your righteousness because God has something for you to do. He's given us a job to do. How many want to do the work of God? I do. That's what, that's what Christians do. They do the work of God. They carry the church. They bring it to the world. They manifest God in the earth. That's what we do. He explains it in verse 16. There's no way I can go through all this. But he says it in verse 16. The whole body is fitly joined together. And it is compacted by that which every joint supplies. You know, every muscle, everything that's joined. The, the beauty of your body in the way that it is joined together is such a marvelous thing. Scientists who want to be unbelievers, the more they learn and the more they study about how God has put our body together, they just start wagging their heads. They're like, this didn't happen on accident. They, they can't not use the word design, right? Why? Because, they, because you couldn't have thought this through. Do you guys remember the little bombardier beetle? Have you guys ever heard of the bombardier beetle? The bombardier beetle is this little tiny beetle. And a spider comes and wants to eat the thing. But, this, but the bombardier beetle has these chemical tanks, one on each side of its body, and it squirts the chemical, and when the two chemicals hit each other, they explode. Did you, have you guys ever seen this? Now, individually, by themselves, if he squirted this one chemical, it wouldn't do anything. If he squirted the other chemical, it wouldn't do anything. But when those two come together, they do what? There's an explosion. And this explosion... If they would go in a continual stream, it would explode the beetle and blow the beetle into a thousand pieces. But, but it comes out in an intermittent spray, kind of like with the sprinkler systems. And it comes at just the perfect interval to create an explosion that will blow a spider across the room and leave the bombardier beetle right where it is. It's an amazing thing. Now, the, the only problem with that is this is impossible this is not something that would evolve. It couldn't evolve. The first time it did it wrong, it would just blow the beetle up, right? Anyway. But the body is fitly joined together. It's compacted by that which every joint supplies. According to the effectual working of the measure of every part, make an increase to the body and to the edifying of itself in love. Now, this is very complicating, but it basically says that Steve is different, and Tim is different, and Jonathan is different, and Jason is different, and I'm different. But what God does when we lose our will to say that we are going to do what we want to do, and we decide to obey God's word, and when we're kind and loving and forgiving to one another, and we're lowly and forbearing, that what happens is, is all of a sudden we start to become an invincible unit. He goes on to say, he says, you need to understand the Gentiles, they don't understand this. Verse 17. I testify in the Lord, he said, do not walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. What he's saying is just they don't have a rally point. They don't have a schematic. They don't have a plan. What they have is the prince of darkness is what they've got. So don't live like them. Don't walk like them. Don't be like them. Don't envy what they have. They're blind and they're dark and they're just following him, right? He says in verse 19, who are past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And he goes, but not you. Everybody say, not me. You have not so learned Christ. And he, he begins to say this. If you know Jesus, you should live different. Because we have Him to follow and Him to work for and His work to do. If you have been, if you, if so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former way of life, the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you get your mind going the right way, what's going to happen with your body? Your body does what your mind tells it to. Uh, I had the great pleasure of playing putt-putt last week. This is a great pleasure. I haven't played putt-putt in many, many years, but I went with Benaya and who did I go with? Uh, I went with uh, Titus and uh, was it Micah and Elias? I don't know. There was a bunch of little boys. I went with a bunch of little boys and Gideon and Val, I don't remember who at all was there. But they had this one Andy, and there's this little thing of water. And every time they put it, where did they all hit it, guys? They all hit it in the water because the water is there. Now, these were very similar courses. They could have just hit it right towards the hole, but the water was there. And they kept looking at the water, and where did they hit the water? Where did they hit it? They hit it in the water. But see, I'm a little older, and I learned this trick. I didn't look at the water. I looked at the hole, and when I hit it, it went down to the hole. But every one of their balls went in the water. Every one of them. Because that's what happens. That, that when your mind is on that, that's where the ball is going to go. And in your life, this is what sin does. This is what it does to us. The devil loves to keep us occupied with that. So that all the balls we hit, Tim, go in the water. He wants us to think about that. He wants us to have our minds on that. He wants us to be, be distracted. That's what he does. He can't stop us. But what he can do is distract us. He says you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. He's saying if you can follow Christ, if you can lay aside your sin and your greed and your pride, you can begin to show Christ's righteousness even in your own life. How many want to do that? I do. Now, it's not going to earn me anything with God. I'm not going to get saved because of it. I'm not going to a better place in heaven. But I'm going to be able to work with uh, the people of God. And we're going to be able to do something wonderful for God. How many of you want to be a part of the great story that God is telling? I do. I do. Paul continues this lesson on how sin divides us. And how true righteousness born of the Spirit unites us. And He calls us to see sin for what it is and what it does in our life. That's what sin does. Sin divides us. At the most simple level. Come on, Andy, you're learning this as a dad every day. What does sin do? When one of your little ones sins, it causes division. How many have had one kid who can like blow up your whole house? Come on. I do. I have several of these kids. One kid, though can blow the whole house up, right? When they get their will and they get their thing and they get on their thing, they can just mess it all up, right? So here's what he does. He tells them, so why is Paul so concerned about this righteousness? He's explaining to them, you've got work to do and you're never going to be able to do it living like Gentiles. You're going to have to do it living like Christians, living like Jesus lived. So he goes in verse 25, he says, wherefore put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do you see the context he puts it in? He's saying, he didn't say tell the truth, because if you don't, you're going to burn in hell. He says, speak the truth every man with his neighbor, because we're part of each other. What good would it do if your right hand lied to your left hand? If you were going to catch a football, that'd be, that'd be trouble, right? The right hand goes, oh, I'm going to go up right with you. Well, it's hard to catch a, a, a fly football one-handed. Especially when you think the other hand's going to be right where you want it to be. And then he goes, no, just kidding. You know, just keeps going. Right? Can you shoot a basketball? Andy's probably good at shooting a basketball. You know, you got to have, you got to have the, the, the or, or Jeff, okay, one of you guys here, right? You, it takes two hands, right? You got you to have the one hand in place, right? I don't know how to shoot a basketball. <laughs> I can't even jump. Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor, for we are members, everybody say, we are members, one of another. Now, hopefully, and uh, you're members of the church, right? But the idea is that we're members one of another. We know what it means to be a member of the Robinette family. You know what it means to be a member of Foundation Church? To be a member of the church of Jesus Christ around the world? 
It's amazing to me that he's talking about such lofty things and then he goes, now don't lie to each other. And then verse 26, and, and don't be angry. I think it's, I, Stephen, I think it's hysterical. Why is he talking about this? It's how, it's, it's the body for it to work together. You have to just make some decisions. You know what? Like, you know, how many know, are there are things you've had to do, you know you're going to get hurt. Like, I'm carrying the pan that I cooked with from one side to the other, and it's an iron pan. You guys ever cook with these iron pans? And at first when you grab it, it's just fine, but the longer it's in your hand, what happens? Come on, I get some smiles from some women. Also, you're like, ah, ah, ah. You're like, well, ah, ah. But, but that pan's like this big, and if you drop it, it's going to put a hole in your floor or break your toe or kill one of your children, right? And, and so you're like, oh, ah, 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 and then you're like moving stuff out of the way. You've got to agree that you're going to take the pain, right? And as long as you know this, right, what if I just, I got mad? I'm so angry, you know, and I just throw it. What would happen? You bust a hole in my window, hurt one of my children, cause a huge mess I got to clean up, okay? Be angry and sin not. He's explaining that we have to decide as a body, we're not going to get mad. You know, you don't have perfect leaders. Andy doesn't get it right most of the time, right? Oh, no, that's me. Pastor Mark doesn't get it right most of the time. But I'm still Pastor Mark. And so we have to decide. It's like in your homes, you've got to decide. It's like, all right, Derek might get it wrong, but he's, he's my husband. You, gotta, you have to get this. Don't, you've got to try to get yourself under control. And that's what self-control is all about. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You know what the devil likes? Look, he likes us to be mad at each other and decide we're not going to work with each other anymore because then he's like, my work's done. Game over. I can go sit, you know. The devil can go hang out and, and not worry about you and me because now we're mad at each other. Man, my work's easy. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I love it that when Luke gets mad at me, and he does sometimes, he calls me on the phone. He goes, hey, let's talk about this. And I'm like, man, I'm so thankful that Luke loves God because God's word says that we're supposed, we can get angry, but when we do, we're not supposed to sin. When we do, we're supposed to go to our brother. When we do, there's ways of dealing with it, right? Not just get mad and throwing the pan through the window, right? <laughs> Verse 27, neither give place to the devil. What does he want to do? Right? Remember when Jesus was casting out devils and they said, he's doing it by the devil. And he goes, no. Not doing it by the devil. He said, he said a house divided against itself cannot, it can't stand. He was referring to the devil's house. The devil's demons are unified. Can you believe it? They've got unity and we're working on it. Neither give place to the devil. He loves to cause division. I was telling my kids about this. They were kind of loud in the van on the way here. Six things that the Lord hate. The seventh is an abomination. Who knows what the seventh is? Might not be able to name all six. Can you name number seven? You can do it. What is it? No, no, no. Just name the last one. You got it right. He that sows discord among the brethren. You see, and it's amazing to me that that, that God, that that's an abomination more than the others. Do you read the other six? Feet swift to innocent blood. I mean, that's pretty bad. I would think that would be worse than people that go, did you know that Sister Susie didn't like your new haircut? Can you believe that Sister so-and-so she missed church and all she had was a little tiny headache, but mine's worse than hers. The devil loves to do, oh, do, you know what? So-and-so likes so-and-so more than they like me. I mean, really? That's what the devil does. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He goes up, to, he goes up and, and he says in the ear of Hannah, he goes, Hannah, did you know what? Your sister Corinne thinks she's just a better piano player than you are, you know. And I say that because wasn't that a beautiful piece you played today? The devil loves to tell you things that other people think 
He loves to give you reason to be angry with them. He loves to give you reason to not forgive them because that opens the door for him. Everybody say, I want to shut the door to the devil. Yeah. What's this all about? What's this righteousness about? What's this non-anger about? What is it all about? Not earning us heaven, but what is it doing? It contributes to the work that we have to do. If we cannot do these things, we're not going to be able to work together in the kingdom of God. We're not going to be able to be a church. Isn't it amazing that this church, God has, we've gone through so much together, but yet it takes this much to get us afoul with each other. Isn't that funny? I mean, I don't even want to list what we've gone through. Now, if it's that hard for us, how in the world are we ever going to do anything as the church of Jesus Christ in the world? It's almost impossible, right? Everybody say, I want unity to start with me. I want to stop being angry and sinning. I want to be forbearing. I want to be lowly. I want to be meek. I want to be this, not because I want to be the best person in the church. I want to do it because there's work to be done. Amen? He even gets down to stealing. I think this is so funny. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. He gets about what the, the words you say. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. How many of you, the words that come out of your mouth are ministering grace to the hearers? Think about the things you said in, on the way to church. Think about the thing you said getting ready for church. Think about the thing you said this week. How many things have you said had your, your, the person could say, you know, Christina, that thing you said to me really ministered grace to me. Is that what it did? The Bible says that the words that we speak should minister grace. How many have called somebody on the phone this week and said, you know what, brother, I just love you. I appreciate you. Sister, thank you for that. Thank you for what you do. You know, we can use our mouths for these things. Amen? Verse 30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed. He's saying, you're sealed under the day of redemption. You're going to heaven. But when you open your mouth and you hurt others, and you tear others down, and you're angry, and you're unforgiving, and you're stealing from each other, and you're lying, what are you doing, guys? The Holy Spirit of God lives in you and is watching you. I know what it's like to be a dad and watch my children and I'm grieved by what they're doing. Could you imagine being the Holy Spirit in us? Mm. So you're going to heaven and the Holy Spirit's with you all the way while you're being nasty to your brother, while you're being nasty to your sister, while you're fighting and you're squabbling and you're angry and you're willful. And the Holy Spirit is with you all that time. Wouldn't that be reason enough not to do that? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I love the way he ends it. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What a finish, right? How do we have unity, guys? Through forgiveness, amen? Through kindness, through tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness, I don't think, it, I think it's, it's a gift. Most of us are not very tenderhearted. And I've, I've told this story, I'm gonna tell it again right now because I think it very much so applies. When my mother-in-law had lost her second son in less than a year, her 21-year-old son is dead. He has a brain aneurysm. He's dead. He's, he's over at the funeral home in a coffin, and they call her and they say, would you please pick up a picture frame that we can put on top of the coffin? We can't open the coffin. It's too bad. This is horrible, right? I'm sorry to tell you this story. But she went in there, Jason, and she goes into 
the store, and there are people, and, and she's just wanting to get to the picture frame, and they're like kind of pushing her out of the way. And they're, they're wanting to get in front of her. And she's watching them all swirl around her. And she has this thought. And she said, I bet if anybody knew why I was here, they wouldn't treat me like this. Right? If there would have been a sign on her that said, I just lost my second son and I'm on my way to the funeral home, could I please buy a frame? How would you have treated me? In a tender-hearted way, right? Come on, right now, you feeling it with me? We don't treat people this way every day because we don't have this. We have to be told something like that. Sometimes, sometimes Jonathan, I tell myself this about other people. Someone will cut me off on the road or someone is mean to me. Sometimes some of you are rough on me. And you know what I say? You know what? I don't really know what's going on at their house. I don't really know what's going on with them. I bet they're having a rough time. Doesn't it sort of all of a sudden take all of the steam and anger and trouble right out of you? Just, it's just all gone. It's like, hey, step on my foot. Take my car. I'll pay for it, right? Tenderheartedness. Be kind. Folks, I'm telling you right now, kindness is not something that is valueless. It is priceless. Be kind. Are we even kind to those who have to clean up after church? Do we take care of what's, you know, what's at our table or do we just run out the door because we're busy? Can we just take a little kindness? Just a little? And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Love is the grape, but unity is the wine. You know, I'm telling you, if we could learn to live this way, unity would never be a problem, Jason. Never be a problem in our church. Let me read Jesus' prayer. Three verses of it. O Father, may they all be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me, and the glory which Thou gavest Me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, Thou in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent Me and hast loved them, and Thou hast loved Me. How many want righteousness that brings unity in the body of Christ? I do. I do. Everybody say, unity is the wine. May it be our prayer today. Let us pray. Lord, sometimes I just think we don't know. We get very busy and very willful and, and we don't realize how bad off we are. We complain, we accuse, we are petty. Oh, but make us one today. Help us to love each other, to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. May kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiving be the marks of this church. Not that we're family integrated or that we have lots of kids or that we don't send our kids to the public school. May it be that we're kind and we're loving and we're tenderhearted, that we forgive one another that we give not place to the devil, that we're not angry with each other, that we don't hear the accusations of the devil, that we cast him out of our assembly by shutting his mouth as we shut our ears to his accusations. Help us, Lord, to have unity and to love each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you. Amen.